our scripture reading this morning, uh, and really throughout the entire service. Is this thing on? Can we hear me? Is this thing on? We can hear me? Okay. Throughout the entire service, I want to try something. So whenever I say the word Hosanna, I want everyone in this room, not just the, not just the honorary kids with palm branches, but everyone in this room to shout hail to the king. Can we do that? Sure, and if you have a palm branch, go ahead, go nuts with it when we do that. Just, yeah, absolutely, just wave it and make a noise and annoy your neighbor, and if you do that, you're doing it right. So let's try this. Hosanna. Hail to the king. All right. Hosanna. Hail to the king. All right, and Jesus entered Jerusalem, and the crowds were with him, and they yelled, Hosanna. Hail to the king. All right. I'm going to keep you on your toes through the entire service. Before we begin this morning, let's read uh, John 12, 12 through 19 together. Hear these words from the Gospel of John. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, they did realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb And raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said one to another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone after him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, as we hear your word preached, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, speak to us through your holy scriptures. Speak to us through your inspired word this morning. Glorify your name. We beg, oh God. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So if you've been, uh, you know, attending this church for the last uh, several months, really, you'll know that we've been going through a series on the book of Ephesians. We are, for the next several weeks at least, putting a pause button on the book of Ephesians. It's not because, you know, we're, it's not because it's a bad book or anything. But as we come up to this holy celebration of Easter, as we come to this week that we set aside as a church to remember Christ's death and resurrection, we want to just pause and remember Christ and his life on this earth, his death, and his resurrection. We have what could be considered a two-part series um, this week or today, Palm Sunday and Thursday, but in reality, it's just this is one sermon that we're going to hear um, this week, starting this morning. And if you want to continue and join us on Maundy Thursday, this Thursday at 6 p.m., you'll hear the second half of this. But it's called Hail to the King for a reason, right? Because as we have just read, as the people came in and shouted, Hosanna! It means hail to the king, right? Sometimes just we hear the word Hosanna, and we just think of, right, this Palm Sunday, we think of the branches, but we miss the deep cultural significance 
that it had for them in that day. When an ancient Jewish person heard the word Hosanna, you guys are doing so great. When an ancient person heard that word, I'll save your voice, they would have thought something. Their mind would have gone back really a thousand years into the Old Testament, and they would have looked at this Old Testament expectation. See, over this week, um, today, this morning, and Monday, Thursday, we're going to look at the Old Testament expectation. We're going to finish this morning by looking at the New Testament recognition of Jesus Christ as King. We're going to pick that point up, point number two, uh, the New Testament res- recognition of Christ. We're going to pick that up on Thursday, and then we're going to finish on Thursday by looking at Jesus' coronation as King by his crucifixion. So this is the movement we have. Old Testament expectation, New Testament recognition today. And then we're going to conclude on Thursday by looking at Jesus' coronation by his crucifixion. But first, let's start with the expectation in the Old Testament. Psalm 2. Let's go ahead and read it. I didn't pull this up, and I should have. Psalm 2 is a psalm that I've studied a lot. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's a coronation psalm. So they would have sung this psalm in the Old Testament when they were anointing a new king. It's probable, likely, possible that King David wrote this for the coronation of his son Solomon. And when he wrote this, when they sang this song at his coronation, they would have looked forward to the day that Israel was a dominant superpower. They were not for their history. But they were looking forward to the day when God would do great things through this people. Just one quick note before we read this. We're going to be using the words anointed one, Messiah, and Christ today. Anytime you hear any of those words through this sermon, they really just mean one thing. They mean the king. Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's a title. Because he is the king. That's what it means. So let's read Psalm 2. Hear these words. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, the king. The Hebrew word there is Messiah. Saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. In the ends of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This psalm, sung as it would have been as a coronation psalm in the Old Testament, was optimistic. Israel, the nation that King David was the king over, King Solomon was the king over, their descendants were kings over, they were never really more than a regional bit player on the world stage. Yes, they had some influence, especially under King Solomon. But this psalm envisions worldwide dominion. I will make the ends of the earth your possession. So they looked forward to that day. And perhaps they expected, as they were singing this psalm to King Solomon, and they have also been shouting the word, Hosanna, 
that they may have expected that Israel would grow and grow and grow and slowly exert more and more dominion over the world. That's not what happened. Israel slowly lost influence. Their kings fell into rebellion as time went on. And eventually, the kingdom split, and God took two other nations, two other empires, to come and remove Israel from their land. Eventually, they came back to their land. But in the Old Testament, they were never the power that they expected to be. They had kings, yes, but they were always under the thumb of another government. For the thousand years between the time this psalm was written by King David and Jesus Christ came, for those thousands of years, Israel declined as other nations became more and more powerful. There's a section of scripture in Zechariah 9. This was written after Israel was exiled and then they came back into the land. Looking forward to the day when their king would return. This is Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So as Israel's dominion as a country got less and less, their expectation of a savior grew more and more. They realized that the kings that they had on the throne were never going to be enough for them to realize God's will for them. So they started looking forward. A king is coming. One day a king will come and he will finally fulfill all of this expectation. And so throughout this period that the Jewish people were dominated by the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, they looked forward to the day that they could shout Hosanna. They looked forward to the day that they could shout Hosanna. They looked forward to the day that their king would come bring salvation to them, free them from foreign dominion, and finally realize all of this expectation that had been building. So by the time Jesus comes, with all of this expectation built up, and I've just mentioned a couple little pieces in that expectation. We could spend weeks looking through the Old Testament at that. But in the book of John, specifically, Jesus begins to be recognized as king. As you read through the New Testament, look at those words. Look at Christ. Look at Messiah. Look at king. Look at how they're used. We're going to look at just a couple different selections from the book of John. There's a lot that we're leaving out here if we were going to do you know, a full study on this. But right at the very beginning of John, Jesus starts being recognized as this one who would come. This is from John 1.40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, it's a good name, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee 
he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. As the Jewish people were waiting for this person, waiting for this true king who would come to overthrow Roman rule, the disciples finally found the man who they thought was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. But they they looked at him and they said, you know, it might be you. This might be the Messiah. This might be the Christ. This might be the king of Israel that we've been waiting for. We go on to John chapter 4. Jesus deals with the Samaritan woman by by the well. And there's a lot here, but I just want to look at this quote from her at the end of that story. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So there's all this expectation built up in the Old Testament. People waiting for their king. People waiting to yell, Hosanna. You guys are a little slow on that one. People waiting to yell, Hosanna. And finally, once we get to the book of John, we have disciples saying, you know, this might be the Christ. We have a a Samaritan woman, an outcast of society, coming to Jesus and saying, the Messiah is going to tell us all things. Jesus says, I am I am the one you've been waiting for. John chapter 6. Are we all familiar with the story of that time Jesus fed an army in the desert? Do we remember that one? Anyone here? That story? You might know it by its name, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Are we familiar with that one? A little bit more familiar? Right, so we, when we, as a modern American Christians, when we read that story, for us, it's frequently just a story about how God provides our needs, which it is, don't get me wrong. It's frequently a story about how God can use the lunch of a, of a little boy or a little girl, and he can use, you know, even, even the young ones are important in God's kingdom, which it is. I remember Matt Walker asked me a few weeks ago, and I didn't know the answer to this when he asked me. But he said, why, does, why do they only count the men? Have you guys wondered that too? Are they only count the men? My sister's nodding her head. Why do they only count the men? Why don't they count the women? Why don't they count the children? Aren't they important too? Well, of course they are. But the reason they count the men is because they took a census. Because they had an army out in the wilderness. See, history through that time is filled with false messiahs, false kings, who were going to throw off Roman rule and rule as the king over Israel. History was full of them. So it was common, as common as it could be, for these messiahs to go out into the desert, teach their things, raise up armies with the intention of marching on Jerusalem. 
And so Jesus has people out in the desert. He does a miracle for them. And when they see that he does this miracle, when they see that they feed him out of, or that he feeds them, excuse me, out of nothing, they say, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the guy that we've been waiting for. Maybe this is the Messiah, the King of Israel. And so John 6 says, and we, we frequently miss this, Jesus fled because they came to make him king. They were going to come by force and make Jesus king. They were going to pick him up. They were ready to march down to Jerusalem to violently overthrow the government that was down there. And, I mean, if we've been following along, that's something we should probably expect, right? Because their king is coming. He's the one who's going to bring salvation to them. He's the one who's going to overthrow Roman rule, right? So why does he flee? Why does he run away? Is it because he's not the Messiah? No, he's already admitted he's the Messiah. We know that he is the Christ. We know that he is the king. It's been demonstrated by him. He's been doing these miracles throughout the book of John. All of these signs that point to him as the one who is to come. So why does he run away? It's a good question. There are other things that we could look at in the book of John. We could look at John 9, the man born blind, and how, you know, if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, they were going to get put out of the temple by the religious leaders. You could go to John 7, where the religious leaders come up to Jesus and they say, no, 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 tell us for real, are you this Christ that we're waiting for? We could go to John 11, when before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, his sister confessed, I believe that you are the Christ who is coming into the world. But let's look at John chapter 12. Let's look at the story that we so often remember on Palm Sunday. Jesus comes. He's, he's coming with a group of people. So picture this. In in ancient Jewish culture and religion, they had three feasts every year that everyone who was able was supposed to travel to Jerusalem in order to celebrate. This feast that they were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate was the Passover. They would celebrate it at the end of the week. It's the meal we know as the Last Supper. So all of these pilgrims are coming from the north, right? Jesus wasn't from the Jerusalem area. He was from a province up north, so we had to walk down for it. And all of these people who had been following Jesus... They come with him. They had seen all the signs that he had done. They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and they became convinced this is the guy we're waiting for. And so as Jesus walks into Jerusalem, there's a crowd waiting for him. Not people from Jerusalem, but pilgrims who had been traveling with him, who had seen all the signs that he had done, and they were ready to make him king. They shouted, Hosanna! Because they recognized that their king was coming. And if Jesus had played his cards right, hear this, if Jesus had played his cards right, or at least differently, he could have been sitting on a throne in Jerusalem by the end of the week. He had the people. They already recognized him as king. They could have overthrown the local government, made war on Rome, as ill-advised as that would be. Jesus could have been the anointed king of Israel within days. But 
but the people missed something. Right? In Zechariah 9, this passage that we've already read, that says, Your king is coming, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice greatly. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. See, when a king enters a city triumphantly, he doesn't ride on a donkey. He rides perhaps carried aloft by servants. He rides perhaps on a majestic white horse, but a donkey. Normally, donkeys in that day didn't even carry people. People didn't ride donkeys. People put all their stuff on donkeys, and they led the donkeys. Donkeys were beasts of burden. So for someone to come riding on a donkey says something about the nature of this king. See, what the people didn't realize is that Jesus would be enthroned by the end of that week. But he would be lifted up as king in his death. We're going to hit a pause on this sermon this morning. We're going to finish it, finish the thought, the idea this Thursday night. We're going to look at how Jesus continues to be recognized and how Jesus is exalted in his crucifixion. Right now, I want us to pause and consider. Jesus is the king. Does he rule your life? Jesus, he rules a different kind of kingdom. He rules a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. And we can, we can be tempted as modern American Christians, right? right? People who value their freedom and their independence and their individual liberty... We can be tempted to think that we as people can just be independent of other thought, independent of other people, and just serve ourselves. We can think that. That's the temptation. But the reality is that there is a system of spiritual government that we all serve, whether we like it or not. We adopt a system of values from the culture, from the people around us, whether we like it or not. So if we do not worship Jesus as king, we worship things like money. We worship being comfortable in the amount of money that we have earned throughout our lives, spending it for our enjoyment. Maybe we worship the the kingdom of sex. Physical pleasure is all that there is. Maybe we worship the kingdom of power. But whatever it is, whatever the kingdom is, whatever the king is that we participate in and that we worship, all of those things find themselves against the kingdom of Christ. To worship Jesus as king means to adopt his values for our life. To worship Jesus as king means to love the people that he has created for himself, to love his kingdom. To worship Jesus as king means making him the Lord over every area of your life. You worship something. But is that something Jesus? To fast forward to the end of the story a little bit, there will come a day where Jesus' kingdom comes to this earth in full. His glory will come and envelop this world And everyone will make one of two choices. Either they will worship him, or they will be banished from his presence forever. 
The secret is, even in this life, following Jesus as king is the only way that we will find true happiness. We may think that we may find it in all of these other kingdoms, but only by worshiping Jesus Christ as king will we find true satisfaction and true fulfillment. So as we, put, as we hit pause on this sermon until Thursday, consider this. Who or what rules your life? And is it Jesus Christ? Will you pray with me?